Good morning. Technology, I love it. So for those who don't know me, my name's Paul, and with Jane, um, we're both site leads for... Broke that. Verwood sites. Um, and I've got the privilege of bringing God's word this morning. So, how well do we know ourselves? Are we confident that our faith is strong? Are we certain we'd never deny Jesus? And we'll look at those questions um, as we go through Mark 14, 26 to 72. Which I will read. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. You will fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I had risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. And Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter was insisted, insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James and John. And he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Pray and watch so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is, weak, is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. And returning the third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough, the hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes the betrayer. And just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him a crowd of armed people with swords and clubs, sent by the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with him. The one I kiss is the one you need to arrest and lead away. Going once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. And the men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. I'm leading a rebellion, says Jesus, that you, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me. 
Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. And they took Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests, and the elders, and the teachers of the law came together. Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin said, uh, were looking for evidence against Jesus, so that they could put him to death. But they could not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and gave this false testimony again. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made of human hands, and in three days we'll build another, not made with hands. Yet even their testimony did not agree. Then the high, high priest stood up before, before them and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses? You've heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him to death. Then some began to spit on him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists and said, Prophecy. And the guards took him away and beat him. And while Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. And when, he, when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with the Nazarene Jesus, she said. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said. And went out into the entryway. And when the servant girl saw him there again, she said to those standing around, this fellow is one of them. And again, he denied it. And after a while, those standing near Peter said, surely you are one of them, for you are the, a Galilean. And he began to curse and he swore at them, I don't know this man you're talking about. And immediately the rooster crowed for the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken over him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. So we see in these verses the ultimate betrayal by everyone who was close to him. Verse 27, Jesus tells his disciples, you will fall away. But Peter says, even if all fall away, I will not. And he is very sure he won't disown Jesus. In many ways, he's overconfident that he won't deny him. And I can, I can kind of identify with that. 
I remember at school I was getting A's for chemistry until the last year where we had to make our option choices and I was, I was so confident I'd pass the exams that I didn't try the coursework or the, or the homework. So the teacher called my mum in after school to talk about my coursework and homework. And I got from the teacher, you must work harder, you lazy boy, you must do your homework. So reluctantly I agreed. I did it for a couple of weeks, I got straight A's again. And I thought, ah, I don't need to do this anymore. It'd be a breeze, the exams would, so I didn't bother. And what happened in the exam? Yep, you guessed. I failed miserably. But that was me being too confident with the faith I had in myself, the same as Peter. He was overconfident in the faith that he had have in himself that he wouldn't deny Jesus. And Jesus replied to Peter in verse 30, Truly I tell you today, yes tonight, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter insists, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And the other said the same. Can you imagine what Peter's thinking? Everything Jesus has taught and told them, the disciples up to this point, have been true. On one hand, Jesus is saying, you're going to betray me. And on the other, you've got Peter who's adamant that he's not going to, um, his faith's so strong that he's not going to betray him. And while I was preparing this, this preach, I, I started to think, what, what would I have done? Would I have denied Jesus? Was my faith so strong that I would be okay to be put to death with Jesus? Are we so grounded and confident in our faith that we can stand here this morning and say, I will not deny Jesus? I would love to think so. But, this was in God's plan to happen. Isaiah 53 says, He is despised and rejected, a man of sorrows and acquainted with the deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. And what we need to remember is Isaiah was one of the prophets in the Old Testament. And these prophecies were written hundreds of years ago before Jesus was born to this earth. And it gives a clear prophetic picture of Jesus' sacrifice, his servant-heartedness, his suffering, and in particular some of his death which means God's plan was being validated in front of the disciples' eyes. And Jesus foretold his betrayal. But unbelievably, this was also the time of an ultimate act of submission. In the the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And this verse is acknowledging two two major aspects of his relationship with God. Firstly, God loves Jesus as a father and wants the best for him. And secondly, Jesus is obedient as a son should be to a father, acknowledging God's authority. 
It also reminds us to live according to God's will. In verses 32 to 42, um, and also in Matthew 26, 36 to 56, they both tell the same account of Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane just before his arrest. And Jesus has, been warned his, has warned his disciples for a long time. And now this time's here. So Jesus goes away, as he had, in, had done in many occasions, to spend time in prayer. And as Jesus prays, I want to write three points. Firstly, Jesus is saying he is deeply troubled. He is distressed. In verse 34, he confesses to Peter, James and John, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Jesus has been preparing his disciples for his death and resurrection. We see this in in earlier um, chapters of Mark 8.31. Then he began to teach them that it was necessary for the the Son of Man to suffer many things, and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and scribes, be killed and rise three days later. See, Jesus warned his disciples about this, and now that time is near. But despite the arrest and being abandoned by those who closely followed him, and the humiliation of the unfair trials, the verdict of crucifixion, and even the physical suffering of crucifixion, Jesus is carrying a weight of something far worse. Soon he will endure the wrath of God, as Jesus accepted the penalty of sin for us. And this separated him from his Father. And the separation is the source of Jesus to the point of death, in verse 34. And even though Jesus knew he was going to go through these things, and the fact that he will face the wrath of God, he is still obedient to God's will and his plan for him. In verses 37 to 38, Jesus is addressing the struggles his disciples are experiencing. The willingness to follow Jesus, but their weakness to follow through. He tells them their spirit is willing, but their flesh is weak. Jesus knows their hearts, but he also knows the battle against temptation within them. So he told them to stay awake and pray against temptation. In the context of temptation to sin, there is a power when we pray together and with one another. Well, we can see from these verses, uh, 37 to 38, Jesus is getting it right, but the disciples appear to be getting it wrong. Secondly, Jesus acknowledges God's authority. As we've seen in verse 36, Jesus starts the most powerful example of prayer and submission to the Father by simply saying, all things are possible to you. And throughout scripture, we see that God does impossible things. And Jesus teaches this earlier in Mark 11:23. Truly I tell you, 
If anyone says to this mountain, be lifted and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says, it will be done. And Jesus is fully aware of the, of the incredible power of God. After all, he was there when he, the Father and Holy Spirit, laid the foundations of the world. John 1, 2-3 He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that, was, that has been created. Knowing God's authority, Jesus calls out to him, Take this cup away from me. But if God had done this, if he'd have taken the cup from Jesus, we would have no hope. Because it is us that would have the full wrath of God on us for our sins. But Jesus didn't end his prayer there. He surrendered completely by saying, nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Thirdly, Jesus followed God's plan. Jesus returned from spending hours in prayer to that moment that was the source of his grief. What does it look like to submit to God's will? It's easier to submit when it doesn't cost you anything. I remember when I was playing football for, for VFC, I'm allowed to say it this morning, <laughs> because I became, uh, before I became a Christian, and because it was a Christian league, they, there was a prayer before each match. And while one of the guys were praying, I heard God say, go to, go to church every week, every week. And I kept saying, no, no thank you. And this went on for a few weeks until one, one Saturday I got home from playing and said to Jane, we need to go to church. Something changed in me. God, God changed something in me and I felt we needed to go. And that's when I realised there was a cost in following Jesus. Because some of the guys, this is one I was working on, the ambulances, some of the guys I was working with started to not be so friendly. They started to be standoffish. Um, and the friendships didn't last. I was one of those um, born again, what was I, somebody said, born again, happy, clappy, religious bloke. So there is a cost. But that's okay. Because I found a wonderful new family in you guys. And Jesus said to the rich guy in Matthew 19, 21, Sell what you possess and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. In Luke 13, uh, 14, 33, it says, In the same way, therefore, every one of you who does not give up your possessions cannot be my disciple. What we must remember, though, is, is whatever it costs us to follow Jesus, it will be made up a thousandfold when we reach heaven. Verses 41 to 42. Then he came... 
for a third time and he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The time has come. See the man of, Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let's go. See, my betrayer is near. And in these verses we see that Jesus has told them to stay awake and pray against temptation. But quickly we see the result of them disobeying him. The disciples would abandon him. Peter would deny even knowing Jesus. They would lose all hope, forgetting Jesus' promises that he would be crucified and that he would rise from the grave three days later. Jesus, on the other hand, spent time in prayer and then became fully submissive to God's plan. And Jesus teaches us and expects us to spend time in prayer, seeing God's will and being faithful to him. Luke 18, 7-8 we will, will not God grant justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay helping them? I tell you that he will swiftly grant them justice. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, we will find faith on earth. Jesus brought his cares, anxieties and desires to the Father. He spent hours doing this through prayer and after remained faithful to God's will. <laughs> Jesus doesn't teach us to pray away our circumstances or hardships. He teaches us to pray through them, cry out to the Lord and trust him. Jeremiah 29.11 for I, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for your well-being, not for disaster. To give you a, a future and a hope. And then came the ultimate betrayal. Jesus went to, Judas went to Jesus and kissed him on the cheek signalling the men sent by the chief priests that this was the man they needed to arrest. And for what? Why did Judas do this? Money. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But even then, Jesus was obedient to his Father. Verses 49 and 50 says, Every day I was with you, teaching you in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me. For the scriptures must be fulfilled. And then everyone deserted him and fled. So they took Jesus to the chief priests, the elders and teachers of the law. Peter followed, but at a distance. And the whole Sanhedrin, which was in effect the, the religious governing body for the Jewish nation, were looking for evidence against Jesus. Anything they could find to put him to death. Lots of people gave false testimony and evidence against him, but what they said just did not make sense. And when the high priest asked Jesus if he was going to say anything to defend himself, 
Jesus said nothing. And then the high priest asked if Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus answered, I am. Well, to say this annoys the high priest is an understatement. The high priest tore his clothes and said basically, that's it then, we don't need to hear anything else because of his blasphemy. But Jesus said, when he said, I am, it wasn't blasphemy, it was the truth. But what's blasphemy? Basically, it's an offence of showing disrespect, insulting or showing contempt towards God. It also means claiming the attributes of a deity or God. So this was the blasphemy Jesus was accused of, claiming to have the characteristics of God. And why did the priest tear his clothes? It's a display of mourning and grief. In this case, he was absolutely distraught that Jesus was saying that he was the Son of God. And also, it's not entirely clear whether, whether the chief priest is actually outraged or if he's trying to emotionally manipulate the Sanhedrin. And then all the priests, elders and teachers of the law agreed. So they blindfolded him, hit him, spat him and called him names. And then the guards took him away and beat him too. And meanwhile, back in the courtyard, Peter was warming himself by the fire. Then one of the servant girls saw Peter and said, you were the one with Jesus. Amen. <laughs> and Peter said something like, no I wasn't, I don't know what you're talking about. Then the servant girl saw him again, saying, this guy was one of them. And Peter again denied it. Then a little later, the people standing around him, in verse 70, say, Surely you're one of them, for you're a Galilean. And then Peter began to curse and swear, saying, I don't know what you're talking about. I do not know what, who this man is. And then as Peter stopped speaking, the rooster crowed for the second time. And Peter remembered what Jesus had told him. And he broke down and cried. Wow. What was going through Peter's head then? He had done exactly what Jesus told him he would do. I can't imagine what he was thinking or how much of a failure he must have felt. Have you ever let God down? Have you promised to do something and not delivered? What happens then? What happened to Peter? Peter denied Jesus three times. And Jesus allows Peter three opportunities to tell him he loves him. The significant thing about the number is, I think, Jesus had already forgiven Peter for the denial and is giving him a chance to state his love for Jesus. After all, three questions, they were rhetorical. Jesus knew Peter loved him, but it was a way of making Peter feel better. But also Jesus' responses to Peter's answers 
with feed my lambs, shepherd my sheep, and feed my sheep. So Jesus still had a job for Peter. And we can take comfort in the fact that Jesus knows we're going to mess up sometimes. He loves us. He will forgive us, like Peter. Because he still has a job for us to do as well. Amen? So to bring this all, all together, Jesus' final hours on earth began in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we have seen Jesus' humanity and resolve as he prays. We see Judas' betrayal, the religious leaders' corruptness, and the disciples falling apart because of these things. But what can we learn from this passage? What can we learn is what we should do in times of trials, distress and difficulties. What did Jesus do? He turned and prayed to his Father. Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. And we can see how close Jesus is to the Father by simply calling him Father. And we too can do this. We can call on the Father. We can do what Jesus did in Gethsemane. Paul says in Romans 8, 14 to 15, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you, do, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Amen? We have received adoption as children, so we can also cry out to God as our Father, just like Jesus did. We've been adopted as sons and daughters by the Creator of heaven and earth. How awesome is that that we can call Him Father and call on Him any time? So often it's easier for us in times of need to look after ourselves, try and look after ourselves, instead of turning to our church family for emotional and spiritual support through prayer. We must acknowledge God's authority in, in our lives. Put all your faith in the Lord. Do not rely on your own understanding. In all ways acknowledge God and he will direct your paths. Proverbs. And if there's one verse you could live by, this is one of them. Of course, we've got a whole book of verses we, live, we can live by. That's called the Bible. God is the one who works in our lives with power, wisdom, goodness and justice. We need to acknowledge this. After all, God is the one who pardoned us because of Jesus dying on the cross. God loves us so much and has forgiven us totally. And the more we love God, the better we'll understand his will. When we study God's word, we will recognise God in all areas of our lives. We'll get to know him. We can have that intimacy with him. We'll get to know his character. We should be prepared to obey the Lord and be humble. If we accept God, he will guide our steps. By putting our faith and praying, and praying to him, we can also acknowledge him. One final note, 
Jeremiah 29.13, it says, When you seek me, being God, with all your heart, you will find me in the right paths. So let's seek God and find the right paths, because that's where we'll find God. Amen? So invite the worship team back up. So I just want to pray. Lord, you are my king, you're my rock and my redeemer. All praise and glory and honour to you, Lord. Thank you for your faithfulness and unchanging truth. I want to trust and obey you with all my heart. But I let emotions and circumstances pull me away from your purposes and the plans in my life, Lord. Just remind me and convict me, Holy Spirit, to stay focused on your promises, your love, care, wisdom and guidance. Open my eyes to see you all around me. Thank you for desiring to walk through all of my fears, trials and griefs with me, Lord. And I want to put you first. I want to seek your face and rely on you above all others. Help me to start this new day with a hunger with a fire to seek you first in all aspects of my life. And I pray this in Jesus' name. I just get the sense that, that God's saying there are people here who feel they've messed up. They, they're not good enough for Jesus. And I just want to remind you that we are forgiven. Jesus loves us. And we've got a job to do. So if you're one of those, I would love to pray with you. Pray through this. So while the guys are, are worshipping, please do come, come to me and we'll pray. Amen.